This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. everyone and welcome to the podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber from Healthcare News. Have you ever been unable to fill a prescription because the drugstore ran out? I mean, this is not a new problem. It's happened to me. It's happened to people I know. In fact, it happens on a much larger scale, like in hospitals and for patients facing life-threatening conditions. I am pleased to have back on the podcast this week the co-publisher of Healthcare News, John Goodman of the Goodman Institute for Public Policy Research. John recently testified on drug shortages before the U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs. Welcome back, John. <laughs> Glad to be with you, Anne-Marie. Now, you know, um, I've had this happen to me where, you know, you go to the drugstore and they don't have the drug and you got to wait a couple of days. And, and I've heard it other from other people. And I always assumed it was a supply chain issue. We've seen those in everything, really, right? Um, now, I've been told that there are just a handful of wholesale distributors and that they control the market, whatever. Um, maybe we don't even have enough raw materials. What What is it that you testified? I, I assume it's a little more complicated than those explanations. What, what exactly is going on? Well, during the Obama presidency, uh, Zeke Emanuel was the White House uh, person in charge of health policy. And uh, Emanuel is a cancer doctor and oncologist. And he looked at this very question and he concluded that only about 10% of the problems with shortages arise because of a shortage of, of raw materials, the ingredients that go into the drug. He didn't say this, but I'll say it. The, the main problem is not that. The main problem is bad public policy. Now, I went to the FDA's website, and there is an article from 2019 on root causes and potential solutions to drug shortages. And they give three causes, and I'd like you to comment on them. First, they say it's caused by, quote, a lack of incentives for manufacturers to produce less profitable drugs. True or not? True. All right. So how does that happen? I mean, you know, obviously you're not going to make something if you're not going to make money on it. Right. So is that a fixable thing? How it happens is how it happens is that the FDA refuses to allow the producers of generic drugs. And remember, we're, we're, we're not talking about brand name drugs mainly. We're talking about generic drugs that we know they're safe. We know they work. Uh, a lot of them have been around for an average of three decades. And um, what the FDA does is it forces the market to treat all these drugs as though they are the same, regardless of where they are produced. So a, a manufacturer of a generic drug, uh, if, if that manufacturer makes the drug more reliable, more efficacious, uh, safer, that manufacturer cannot uh, uh, advertise this fact. Uh, the FDA's attitude is the only difference among these drugs is price. And therefore, the only competition is price competition. So there's a race to the bottom. Mm. And uh, all the other factors uh, uh, are, uh, are are ignored in order to get the price as low as possible. So that's why so many of these drugs that are in short supply are produced in China and India. Those are the lowest cost places to produce drugs in the whole world. And, uh, yes, the manufacturers have no incentive to have reliable supply. 
because unlike a brand drug, they they don't make a profit by making sure their drug is reliable. Yeah, because we see that with uh, over-the-counter drugs, they advertise different price levels and different benefits, right? You know, you might get a tablet as opposed to, you know, a capsule or something and pay more for one or the other. But, you know, people are, the, the prices are different. And, but for prescription drugs, I guess that's not quite the same for generics. Um, the second cause they mention. Well, okay. Okay, well, this is just a second. Yeah. If I can interrupt, an example would be aspirin. Okay. Now, aspirin's been around for a long time. It was there before there was an FDA, and therefore it was grandfathered, so the FDA doesn't bother with aspirin. But aspirin is, uh, is branded, and you see Bayer's name on it or someone else's name on it, and you're right. You go to the drugstore, you have different different names, different prices. You find an aspirin that works for you and you and you buy it. Uh, the generic market is not allowed to work that way. Okay, interesting. All right, so the second cause they mention on this uh, webpage is that the market does not recognize and reward manufacturers for, quote, mature quality systems that focus on continuous improvement and early detection of supply chain issues. Um, and, and I think you did allude a little bit to this in your Senate testimony. Can you talk a little bit about the manufacturing process and, and why that can sometimes be a bottleneck? Yeah, so what the FDA said is true. What they're not saying is they are the cause of the problem. <laughs> so, so here in the Dallas area, Mark Cuban, who owns the Dallas Mavericks uh, and has set up uh, something called Cost Plus Drugs, uh, selling generic drugs at just a little bit over cost. Uh, he's about to start a manufacturing plant. Now, once he does that, the FDA will be able to inspect his plant any day of the week at the drop of a hat with no prior notice. But he'll be competing with manufacturers in uh, India and China, and they don't—they are not inspected by the FDA in the same way. So, arguably, Mark Cuban's factory will produce drugs that are, in principle, safer uh because they're inspected more routinely than drugs coming from China and India, but he can't say that uh, in advertising and promoting his drugs. And the pharmacists can't say it either. So the FDA forces all these manufacturers to treat their drug as though they're all the same no matter where they come from and no matter what's happening in the manufacturing plants. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Um, the last thing they talk about are, and I think you've talked about this in your testimony quote, logistical and regulatory challenges that make it difficult for the market to recover from a disruption. So this gets to the issue of supply and demand. Can you explain how that works? Well, once again, the FDA is, is the problem. So suppose you have two manufacturers of a generic drug and one of, of the plants uh, uh, has a malfunction, has to be closed down for a couple of months. Uh, the other competitor cannot step up its production significantly without getting approval from the FDA. So we have a, a, a regulatory morass, and uh, it's terribly bureaucratic, and, it, and the FDA does not allow this market to respond in the way a normal market would respond. Hmm, interesting. All right, so there are two issues you brought up in your testimony that they don't mention on this FDA document, and one of them is uh, Medicare Part B, um, and, and this is the program that covers specialty care um, 
you know, many people get drugs that are administered in the doctor's office, like injections and so forth. Um, now, here you have a problem with the pricing that these providers charge. Tell us how this works and how this can lead to a drug shortage. Well, the uh, the government regulates uh, uh, under Medicare uh, what um, what the doctors can charge for these drugs, and, and cancer drugs are a big part of this, by the way. And we're talking about generic cancer drugs that have been on the market for a long time, and they work, and and they're safe. Um, and uh, what what the uh, the Medicare regulations say is the the doctor gets a small percent of the price of that drug. Uh, for uh, administer administering it, uh, but um, but but that price is is not the price the doctor pays for the drug. It's the uh, the average for the uh, for the industry at that time. So doctors can end up losing money on uh, uh, on drugs that they administer, and so this is a, a form of price control, and it discourages uh, supply being available uh, when patients need it. Oh, wow. I bet a lot of people in Medicare Part B don't even realize this goes on when their doctor says, we don't have the drug. That's right. And there was a study in the uh, British Medical Journal just came out that said every, every month of delay in getting the cancer drug you need uh, increases your probability of dying by 10%. So this, these are life and death uh, uh, issues uh, created by the shortage. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, another thing you talk about is the swaps that happen at the pharmacy counter. Now, pharmacists have um, have to fill the prescription with the cheapest drug available. That's often a generic. Um, and, you know, this seems like a good thing. It saves people money. But you say this, too, can lead to shortages. Well, uh, no one knows where the drug is coming from. Even the pharmacist doesn't know uh, where the active ingredients in that drug uh, can come from. Did they come from India? Did they come from China? Uh, because they're not branded. And so if, um, if you're always going for the cheapest drug at the pharmacist level and at the uh, uh, manufacturing level, then again, it's a race to the bottom. And there's no reward for, for, for quality. There's no re- reward for reliability. Um, and, and, and if something is done to improve the efficacy of the drug, make it better, uh, you, can't, uh, you can't get a reward for that either. Yeah. So, so all these problems are caused by over-regulation. These are not normal things that happen in a normal market. Yeah. I mean, like you, you think of any other product and you run out of it in the store, you might, try, you might step up, for example, and buy something more expensive and, but at least you have the option where I guess in, when it comes to prescription drugs, you may not uh, have that opportunity. Um, you also talk about this very complicated 340B program. And, and this is an outrage uh, when people learn, when you learn how this works. Um, now, you know, the intent was, of course, to help hospitals and economically challenge communities get access to drugs, but this is not really what goes on. Uh, it turns out to be a windfall for big hospital corporations. Explain how it works and explain how uh, this too can lead to drug shortages. Well, the program says that uh, if, uh, if a clinic or a hospital is located in a low-income area, that uh, they're entitled to pay uh, a reduced price for drugs. And so... Um, 
so the manufacturers have to sell at that reduced price. But the hospital, uh, with its uh, uh, unit in a low-income area, can have another unit in a high-income area, and it can take the drugs that he bought at bargain basement prices and resell them uh, in the hospital that's uh, servicing a higher-income area. And so Blue Cross, even Medicare itself, is paying list price. So the hospital makes a big profit on this. Uh, this whole program has been studied. It's not helping poor people. It's not getting more care to, to anyone, any of the deserving uh, patients. And it's, it's really a hospital ripoff. Oh, this is just crazy. Why doesn't Congress just end this? <laughs> I guess that's a million-dollar question. Yeah. Uh, uh, so most, most members of Congress do not understand this at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I testify to use the Walmart example, uh, when I go to Walmart uh, to buy uh, a wine, uh, I know I'm going to pay the cheapest prices in all of Dallas. But they may not have the wine I want. On the other hand, if I go to a boutique store, I know I'll get the wine I want, even though I pay a dollar or two more uh, for the bottle. Um, what's happening is that uh, we're forcing the generic drug market to look like Walmart. Uh, prices is, is, is all that matters, and, and, and the drug you want may not be there. Uh, instead of allowing the market to charge a dollar or two more and always have the drug that you want. Yeah. And again, it gets back to the FDA having authority over products that we use every day, uh, prescription drugs, and just being able to control the distribution of it and, and why we get what we get. Well, I, I really do appreciate you coming on the podcast, John. And, and before we let you jump off, anything big down the pike that we should uh, be paying attention to in the next couple of weeks? Anything going on in Congress? Anything in the States? Anything you're looking at in particular? The amazing thing is that last year, Congress passed the IRA uh, Act, uh, which was IRA stands for Inflation Reduction. Uh, it had nothing to do with inflation, however. It had a lot to do with drugs. Uh, but they didn't deal with any of these problems. <laughs> uh, instead, they took $300 billion out of Medicare, and they changed the rules so that in the near future, seniors are going to face higher uh, costs for uh, drugs at the, at the pharmacy and higher premiums for their Part D uh, drug insurance that they get under Medicare. So, so Congress did many things that were wrong and didn't, didn't deal with any of the problems we've been talking about this morning. Yeah. I, I remember some of the discussion when that happened. And, for example, there's a cap now on you know, what people will pay out of pocket for Part D, but most people don't even get to that cap, so it's all kind of uh, window dressing. <laughs> um, real well, I approve. Uh, I approve the cap. Um, there should have been a, a catastrophic cap from the beginning, uh -huh. um, but but in both in the general Medicare program and in Part D, they start out making benefits, uh, ma making uh, services available uh, that, that seniors could pay out of their own pocket easily, leaving them exposed for really. Uh, high-cost uh, uh, drugs and services. So this is something that's plagued the whole Medicare program since the beginning. There always should have been a catastrophic uh, cap mm -hmm. uh, for seniors, even if that means they have to pay a little more uh, of, of a deductible or copayment uh, for the smaller purchases. Yeah. 
Well, there is a lot going on. The uh, Congress is doing a lot, and uh, maybe we'll hear some some big news here in the next couple of weeks. And when that happens, we'll have to bring you back on. I'd like to talk to you about this uh, bill that dropped in the Senate, the Cassidy Shaheen bill on the tax treatment for HSAs, and uh, maybe we'll see something coming out of the Congress uh, pretty soon, out of the House pretty soon. So, all good. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. I love working with you. I learned so much and I love having you as a guest and I really appreciate all you, all you do. And um, yeah, thanks for coming back on. Glad to be with you. All right. John, John Goodman is the president of the Goodman Institute and co-publisher of Healthcare News. And I will have links to where you can find his testimony that we talked about and some additional information. And thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to give us a thumbs up on the podcast uh, platform that you use. It always uh, helps boost our numbers and gets uh, more of this. Uh, it amplifies the, the free market message there in the, the podcast world. So all that is very helpful. And of course, you know, become a regular subscriber. Uh, that also helps. Have a great week, everyone.